From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast featuring Penny Phillips. Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. My name is Manish Kata. This is a new series of ours called Featuring, where we are going to highlight industry leaders and starting with one of my favorite, Penny Phillips. How are you doing, Penny? I can't believe I'm here. Happy to be here. I'm doing great. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. So one thing, let's get out of the way. You know, we've actually never met in real life. We've interacted on Twitter uh, quite a number of times and actually got on the phone recently as well. Um, once, you know, we get back to normal life here with conferences and more than uh, looking forward to obviously sitting down and, and sharing a drink and getting to know you better. But I thought, hey, let's bring you on because we're kind of in the same space when it comes to businesses and our models and whatnot. And I thought there's a lot going on in the industry when it comes to technology, investment management. You know, I just want to chop it up with you and, and see where this goes. But before we jump into that, I think, you know, for our guests, uh, our audience at least, sorry, um, quick background on, on you and, and, you know, where you came from. I know Thrivers Consulting is where I initially was uh, introduced to you. Uh, just lay, us, lay the path down on, on, on your, um, your journey. Sure. And I'll say I'm scared to be here because I know you could get brutal. And I think you guys are hilarious. I don't always agree with you, but I think you're hilarious. But I am a little bit nervous. So you can't come at me for anything I'm going to say because I'm going to talk about myself for a second. So I'm an industry consultant and coach. I've been in the practice management, I'll say arena for over a decade. Uh, I've spent most of my career coaching and consulting advisors and financial institutions. And yes, before launching the RIA in January of this year, I ran a, a coaching business called Thrivos. We worked individually with independent advisors looking to grow and, and monetize. And we worked with big broker dealers looking to better train and retain advisors. So that that's my journey has really been focused on the advisor experience. And I like to say the culmination of all my experiences brought me to journey, uh, which is my, my latest venture with three business partners. Uh, we're an independent RIA with offices in New Jersey and San Francisco. So rewind a little bit. We're, we're brutal, but Listen, your Twitter come, says, I, I wrote it down, look, real talk to combat all the BS in the industry. Listen, you go harder than I do, but yes, we, we have a similar uh, Twitter brand, I guess you could say. So tell, talk about that. What do you, what, what do you mean? What, what, what bullshit are you talking about that you want to combat? Oh, man. Where do we start? Yeah, where do we even start? You know, I'll say this, and, and this is, you know, it's funny because I've been anti-social. If you know me in real life, I've always said social media is terrible for humanity. But what's funny is I, I've sort of grown now, ironically, to be completely in love with Twitter because I found sort of this space where I can be myself and, and, and work and have fun. So yeah, it's been interesting. But when I first launched the Twitter, I wanted to just speak directly to the people I serve, advisors. I've sat in, as you have, thousands and thousands of meetings as a consultant, working in-house at, at, at corporate firms. And it just always feels like people talk to each other in this phony sort of... Like, it's, I, I remember being in meetings where I wanted to say, like, stop speaking in 
like a haiku? Like, just what are you trying to say? And, and like, talk to me like a regular human. And so, you know, my brand when I was consulting was always like very direct. Uh, I'm not going to sell you on a specific tactic. I'm going to give you through the reality of, of what works and what doesn't work, whether that makes you want to hire me or not. And, and I've sort of carried that into all of my social profile. So for me, it's just speaking directly about the reality of what it's like to, you know, build a business or be an advisor. And, and I just like to leave off all the BS about like, be the CEO and build a billion dollar business. I just feel like we're always selling advisors on something and not really getting to what they need from us as consultants or service providers. So that's what I mean when I say industry BS. Yeah, I, I grew up a, a Redskins fan. I guess you can't say Redskins anymore. But yeah. the, when I was younger, the receivers, you know, there was a group that every time they scored a touchdown, they'd get together and and jump in the air and give group high fives. And that's what I feel sometimes Twitter and the industry turns out to be. Um, and so, yes, we are brutal, but we also appreciate people at the same uh, in the same breath, right? I just don't feel like everything is congratulations, high five. Sometimes you release products or you put out content, and, and frankly, there, there's holes in it. And I think um, you know it, it's important to to call that out because it's not. I mean, you know, with advisors especially, right? I, I feel, and I, this is going to segue really greatly into the next topic here. I, my personal feeling is that when it comes to custodians, fintech, and also asset management. There's a large population of companies that are liars. They sell vaporware, they blow smoke up advisors, and they get away with it. And and I think that's that's wrong, right? Especially the advisors that are vulnerable that may not have a lot of assets to to drive these conversations. And so that brings me to journey because you and I have 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 talked about some of the struggles with this model. So talk to me about what journey is, what you're trying to do. And then I want to dive into some of the challenges because I think we're facing the same challenges as we both try to grow our companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's why I love my business partners. And I wouldn't have launched a venture like this without people like that who thought like me and, you know, and, and sort of approached the business the same way. I saw a couple gaps in the RIA space. And I think you and I had briefly talked about this. The first was there is an obsession with you know, the billion dollar Merrill team and, and, and an obsession with, you know, M&A activity in the business. And I think as a, as a career coach, what I noticed is we were sort of getting away from what the individual advisor and ultimately individual client, who's the, the person we are all supposed to be serving, what was right for them and ultimately fulfilling to them. And when I was running the coaching business, I was noticing there were a ton of really successful advisors coming out of firms like Northwestern Mutual, or maybe we're at LPL and we're saying, you know what, I don't love running the business. I feel pressure to continue on this pathway of being CEO. I don't necessarily need to take a check or need to, you know, take money from a private equity company. And I just don't really know what my next step is. And I felt like we were missing just a tremendous opportunity to serve advisors in the way they wanted to be served instead of trying to sell them on, you know, whichever RIA pays the most marketing dollars to, you know, a, a PR company or, or a headhunting company. And so um, I, I sort of spent a year really listening to the independent or insurance BD, because that's where uh, my career started, advisor. And my partners and I came together and said, you know, 
let's let's go to market and be real. Like tech is not our differentiator. It's not anybody's differentiator in the RIA space. Custodial relationships are not our differentiator. They're not for everybody because we all have access to the same stuff. So let's be real with advisors and not just, and our model, by the way, is that we offer a full um, full service uh, uh, operational outsource sort of structure and practice management outsource structure. So we run the operations of the firm. We run the P&L of the business. We hire and, and train and develop. Advisors can maintain 100% equity in their business if they want to, or they can sell to us at some point in time when it makes sense for them and their client. And so we said, like, let's double down on what the real value is, which is actually assisting advisors in building and running the business while allowing them to maintain ownership in what they've built for as long as it makes sense for them. And that's a very different approach than than what anybody else is taking right now. So what what challenges are, are kind of cropping up there when with that model, like it, not challenges with the model itself, but in terms of delivering your ideal um, experience to advisors? Yeah, and you know, we are a new business in terms of entity. The book of business that we launched on is an established book. Two of my partners are financial advisors and so very in tune with their clients and what their clients need and want. Um, I, I would say I've noticed a couple things. Number one, just from the enterprise standpoint, advisors have been trained very specifically to think about low payout bad high payout good and it means you are successful and better off than sort of everybody else and so the the hurdle of educating advisors on thinking about options in the independent space and and sort of weighing the balance between um payout or or grid and what you're giving up and keeping in terms of you know c-suite responsibilities I wouldn't say that's been challenging, but that's been something that we've had to put a tremendous amount of focus on. Like we are giving a payout between 50 to 65%, but as the advisor and, and you know business owner, you don't have another expense. And telling that story um, has been very different for advisors who've been sold on, come to LPL and you'll get a 94% payout. And that means you're the, you know, the best in the business. So that's been challenging. The other piece, and we talked about this, is um, data integration and centralizing operations. Incredibly difficult. Data doesn't flow as well as firms tell us data flows. And it's as simple as that. So I would say those those two, educating the industry and then getting a, a handle on how to centralize operations has been challenging. Yeah, I mean, listen, those two things that we're struggling with as well. We, we don't have the same model where advisors... Um, we do everything for them. It's it's the TAMP model where we're doing the investment management, uh, all the technology and back office. But what we're coming across now is, you know, they like what we're doing. They like the service. They're starting to ask about the other things like, hey, who do you use for payroll? Who do you use for 401k? What's your client server look like? And so we're starting to kind of creep into that zone where some people, you know, they, they like what they see and they want to kind of unleash it all over to you. Um, and so we're, we're kind of towing both both areas right now. But um, 
but yeah, with the technology, and this was, I have these calls once every couple of weeks with different industry folks where, you know, you, you sign up for these different tools and then, then what, right? That it's still so bad when it comes to data integration and, and client onboarding and how to deliver that service. And frankly, I, I don't think anyone's motivated to, to solve this issue either. Um, everyone wants their system to be the hub of everything. Uh, and so I, th- I think they're, they're reluctant. So uh, any plans to, to address that or, or just uh, up the service side of it to, to help advisors? What's kind of the initial thought process there? You know, we, we've made a commitment to, and, and this is, I'm passionate about this because I just think it's wild that we ask advisors to be, first of all, technically proficient in wealth management as a discipline, which is their job, right? Be up to speed on everything going on you know, in the economy and in the markets and also become experts in the fintech space and figure out how to scour through different, like, I just think that's crazy. So p- part of our value proposition to advisors is this is our job to continually try to figure this out and, and find you know best in breed. Um, but we're very honest with our advisors, and we have been from the get-go that technology is technology. And while it may be, you may have a better experience than you did at the broker deal, the insurance broker dealer you were at, you know, that are completely siloed. There are still a lot of challenges for us in terms of, you know, um, really in, in maximizing the use of technology. But that's something that our team is responsible for. So the advisors don't necessarily have to worry about it. In terms of addressing it, um, my perspective is it doesn't make sense right now to pour, you know, a million dollars into building a proprietary tech platform or dashboard of any kind. Um, We're going to do the best we can with what we have, knowing that at the end of the day, the human experience, our relationship with the clients, our ability to surprise and delight them, our ability to think ahead and and preempt any questions or challenges they may have ultimately is what's going to keep us in business for a long time. It's not necessarily the tech. So, you know, doing our best. I mean, we talked about it. It's, it's not easy. Everybody wants yeah. to be the, the one and it's just, we've gotten away from what the client actually wants and needs. Yeah, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I think you right. have to take take. I think you just have to be happy with eighty percent, and then the other twenty percent is really service and how you implement it. Um, I, I loved your point earlier. I tell people this all the time: like tech is not our differentiator. Um, you know, the right custodian relationship isn't it. It's how we implement that tech and how we help you and how we improve your day to day life and process and, and keeping it simple. Um, and so. I, let's. I want to move on. I'm gonna, Christopher, come back in here. I want. I want to talk about marketing. And so, uh, if you're if you're there, let's let's jump in here. And, and Penny, yeah. you've been, you know, you, you're. I see you on LinkedIn and Twitter and putting the videos out. And and to to me and you, that's normal, right? It's just our day to day life. And yeah. but advisors still, to this day, struggle with marketing. They struggle with content. Why? Why? What's what's the holdback for you know? It's almost 2022, and I still have these conversations. Well, it's funny because I tell people if you you know if you know advisors start doing things like seven years after they're supposed to do it. So like everybody's <laughs> doing the direct LinkedIn DMing, and we were talking about. I remember I worked at my first foray into practice management was at New York Life and their corporate RIA, and we were telling 
agents who were transitioning to become advisors, like get on LinkedIn, you know, build your voice. And that was literally 10 years ago. So I see people cold DMing. I'm like, oh God, give it up. You know, so um, <laughs> I, 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 I thought about this a lot. I mean, I built my brands from before the consulting business by recording videos, literally emailing it to groups of advisors and building a network of thousands of advisors over the course of five, six years. It's a couple things. Number one, we are in a, and if you've been in the business for more than five years, folks grew up in a transactional sales oriented business where instant gratification, you know, especially if you're talking about the insurance BD channel or wirehouse channel, it's that sort of the instant gratification, the, the selling something and you instantly get the person say, you know, yes, I love this. I want to do business with you versus what we're talking about, which is leveraging emotional intelligence, building rapport and a relationship pe with people through your unique voice over a period of time. Like you have to be in it for the long haul. If you're trying to build a business and a brand over social media, it's taken me five years to really get to a place where people are starting to sort of recognize my brand and, you know, recognize me at a conference. But I hear advisor all the time. I did the video, I sent it out and I didn't get any business. And it's like, <laughs> that's like I've heard that exact phrase yeah. so many times and it's so There's frustrating. That. There's that. And then the other thing is compliance has prevented people from building an authentic voice and they don't, many advisors don't even know who they are as advisors. And that's the harsh reality, but it's the truth. And so Christopher, like that's why I wanted to, you know, bring you on just to jump in. You've worked with advisors your whole life and most of, you know, most of all help them market um, and help them with marketing. What have you seen in the last couple it's, of years? It's, it's interesting because I feel like the tide is starting to turn on both compliance and technology adoption. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with advisors are seven years behind because there were things that we were trying to do with video mediums like this 10 years ago that now I see marketers who are way more talented and way younger than me out there doing this with advisors now. And everybody's like, oh, it's brilliant. And I'm like, I tried to tell you that a decade ago and no one would listen to me. It's wild. I, I tell advisors a couple things. And this, this was also, we talk about like the BS in the industry. I, I was very early on, like even 10 years ago saying like, stop asking for referrals. And I, I said this on stage last week and people thought it was hilarious, but like, imagine going to a therapist and you're talking about yourself and your relationship with your mom and the therapist says, you know, your mom seems like she's got a lot of issues. Maybe would she be interested in, you know, meeting with me? <laughs> I tell you why, like you're the most, your people are being the most vulnerable with you, arguably, you know, after the therapist and the doctor and you're sitting there saying like, it doesn't land well. And I don't know why we don't just say that to people. Instead, we know that the people who are going to refer you business are going to do it whether you ask or not, because they're natural influencers and like to be part of something. So it's just always confused me why we're not teaching advisors how to really read people and interact. And instead, we're giving them this weird language. And what we end up with is advisors who don't believe their own value and have a real problem being vulnerable. So what I say to advisors is send an email out to your clients and say to them, hey, we're going to try something new. You know, we're going to try these videos and we want to be more modern. Like, it's OK to say that you're a business owner. 
it's, and it's, the thing that I always tell advisors is you have a personal relationship with correct. your clients. You have that rapport. Bring that into your communication. You've been afraid to do it all along because you got put in this box where you had to be exactly. the advisor. Exactly. And and they'll they'll do that, stare at the blank page. I don't know how to start. I don't know who to be. I don't know who I am. And I just say, just be who you are with your clients exactly, and just start talking because you're right. The chances of you making one video that hits a specific point that's going to get to a group of people exactly when they're having that question is slim. But if you keep talking about it in two months, when somebody is looking for that question, they're going to find you because you answered it. And there you are. And I think the people that I have seen now be successful with this through video content, through podcasts, through their website, they just did exactly that. They're like, I'm just going to be the person that I am with my clients. I'm just going to start talking like I would talk to them. And then you have a content library just right. like that. You just have to do it. You can't be a one and done ever. We And we say there's a secret sauce. Sign up for this course. Like there is literally no secret. You there have to not. write down the questions your clients ask answer the question on a video, send the video out. Like that is, there's no other yeah, way. Yeah, there is no, there's no like sign up for my 10 week course and I'll teach no. you how to make a video. Turn yeah. on the camera, start talking. There you go. You just I'm took the course. I'm still on my laptop. You <laughs> well, hold on. That, there, I, I beg to differ. That secret has helped, really helped marketing consultants make a killing. So <laughs> of course it has. they have used that secret. So, um, <laughs> all right, Patty, I want to turn it back uh, on you first. So you have any questions for us just about the industry, life, shit talking, whatever you want to talk, I, ask us. Oh my God. Tons of questions. First of all, I will. And I've DM'd both of you individually. I don't always agree with something. There's one thing in particular that I'm like, maybe I should tell him I really don't agree, but I'm not going to talk about it here. Um, Why not? He, yeah. Tell me. Not, no, no. I, hey, no, listen, listen, listen. Christopher and I have been on record saying, listen, it's okay to respect the hell out of someone, but still disagree with the product or something they say. And and then you can go be friends. Are we overhyped or underhyped? And I thought it was overhyped. You guys said it was under. It was one of those. Oh, Next time, we'll call you out on it. All right. Call um, me out. I, yeah, I just, uh, what, you know, you take a very different approach. You must get a lot of heat for it how do you come up with these ideas around these different, I, they're ultimately, you know, marketing initiatives and how, how do you decide whether one isn't working or is working? Cause I'm sure you get a lot of as much negative feedback as you do positive. How do you make that determination? Let me, let me we'll start. And then first. I'll, then okay. I'll, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm a reality TV person. So I'm like, this yeah, is no, I mean, we, we just, we feel that, you know, there, there's just old school, Wall Street, right, is so buttoned up, and a lot of times they're they're full of shit. And we feel that, you know, you have to start calling people out on some of that stuff, and 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 you know, push people to be transparent and tell the truth. And then these wild ideas come, and usually it's just Christopher and I just talking about utter nonsense. And I'll just be like, you know, what if we just, you know, and I'll just randomly throw something Maybe out. And if he, yeah. And if he giggles and he's like, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess we could do that. And then like three days later, I'll get like a, a mock-up of a campaign and, and we're just, okay, let's try it. And so my whole thought process as, as a firm owner is look, if you're not talking about performance, if you're not making any promissory statements, 
the marketing team really operates on its own. There, there's, there are zero handcuffs or shackles. I tell them the one rule is don't talk about the programs and don't talk about performance. Otherwise, knock yourself out. And- I mean, yeah, Christopher, I mean, how do you, you also, <laughs> I will note, I will say this because, and this is something that's missing at a lot of firms. You guys have both, and gals, you have both idea people and implementers. And what I see in a lot of firms is there isn't the implementer. There's the idea people, but making it come to fruition and making it visually appealing and bringing in all the, like that is a difficult thing to do. So you obviously have very skilled people doing that behind the scenes. It's a combination of a couple of things that makes it work. Um, And this is something that we've talked about quite a bit recently in some of our other podcasts, but you have to have a balance. If it's all big, silly ideas, at some point it stops being different and interesting and people just think you're ridiculous. So for every profound industry maker and player award, uh, fake ceremonies that we put on, you have to have daily research going out by an analyst that shows the depth that comes from this team and the importance of the work. And you have to strike that balance because if it's, if it's all research, then you're just everybody else. And if it's all serial, at some point people are going to be like, why am I even paying attention to this anymore? What's um, wrong with these so, people? Well, yeah. What's wrong with these people? So you, you have to strike that balance. And then when I, when I came to Potomac two years ago, the question that I was asked, cause I was interviewed by everybody in the firm before I came on board. And they all asked me the same question. Why do you want to leave the agency world and come and do this? And it's because I wanted to do the work. I had been doing the branding and the websites and all the things for firms for years and years and years, but never got to do the implementation of it and see how far you could. And I wanted to do it so bad. And so now as we've grown and have a team of four on the marketing staff, we have worked really hard to develop the right interaction and overlap with our team so that we're all touching part of the work, but doing it efficiently because I never want to be the CMO. That's like, let's do this thing that I have no idea how we do or how it gets done, but I've got an idea. Like, I'm never going to be that guy. And I think it's important if you want to get into these kinds of marketing things, if you don't really understand what you're doing, it's not going to be successful. Well, listen, and, you- and, and before, and I, we never hired salespeople. We hired a marketing team first, right? Because to me, I don't need a traveling sales monkey anymore. I just need a content machine. And right. so Christopher and I sat down and said, we build a content machine. That's it. And advisors call me all the time, like, what's your advice? I said, you don't want to hear my advice because my advice is to make content for two years, shut your mouth, do nothing else, head down, and then, like, rise like the phoenix and start killing it. But until then, you know, it's just not going not gonna to work. So um, between, between our research, our podcast, and our blog, we put out between eight and nine pieces of content a week. Yeah, it's, that's so. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, but it's works. Clearly, it works. I, I also think what what's interesting because I do. I'm 
fascinated with firms that have been able to build with this sort of unique approach and and it, you're building all on brand like when people think of you folks who aren't necessarily clients or advisors of yours we think of something specific right we're thinking about through this stuff that you're doing and the unique things and maybe a time you made us laugh etc cetera, etc cetera. um it's I, I just think it's it's very difficult for advisors to pull something like that off um and i i think what you've done uniquely is every person has a brand voice in your organization, which is something that's unique for you as well. Like I told you, I know the the young lady on your team who loves soccer and is Italian. Like everybody has built their own mini brand yeah. within a brand. And that's within the end it. goal. Well, that's, I, I, you know, here, I want to interrupt because listen, I had this Martina, call the other day. Right? The Martina? Yeah, Martina. Yeah, yeah Martina. Yeah. And so uh, the, I had a call the other day. The advisor's like, I can't do that. You know, I'm, a, uh, you know, I'm an advisor. I'm, I'm a trusted resource for them. And I'm like, dude, we're a TAMP. Like we, we manage <laughs> institutional money and we're <laughs> making cereal boxes. Like it's not about, you know, the, the, the old, the, I think the old Wall Street's dead. You know, the office with the cherry wood desk and you know, l l let me give you this presentation on paper. I mean, just times have changed, I think. But anyway, we can. This rant can go on for there's, for days. Yeah, there's there's an advisor that we had on this podcast last fall. I did a. It was. It was I, I almost jumped in earlier when when Penny, you were talking about how you think social is bad for humanity because I did a podcast. I still think that last but, fall yeah. that was titled um, "Is Social Media a Waste of Time." And I had five different guests on and we talked about it. But one of them was an advisor. And um, it was like a, I think it was like a month ago, he emailed Manish and I and was like, I took a really big chance with one of my podcast episodes. And I, I got close to like industry gossip, like just he went hard at something, which is not something he would have ever done prior, but he decided to go for it. And he said he got a bigger response out of just his willingness to be open, truthful, and vulnerable about that one episode than right. hardly anything. And I, I think that speaks volumes. It's just about being willing to be vulnerable and and well, speak your mind. They, and actually, I forgot what I was going to say before, so I made something else up. But this is actually what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> we are in, and, and not, not many firms are paying attention to this we can't underestimate the power of creating community and making people yeah. feel like they're part of something that's bigger than them slash sticking it to the man. I mean, look at Reddit, 11 million users on wall street bets and look at the GameStop drama, which I've talked about ad nauseum because it wasn't about GameStop. It was about what technology and these platforms, Robinhood, Reddit, whatever have created. It's given people the ability to, you know, link up with people who feel the same way as them and rail against somebody they feel is, you know, doing them wrong. And I, I just think that is such an important concept. And institutions, and I'm not saying you need to be super opinionated, and I'm not saying that. I'm saying you have to understand the power of making people feel like they're part of an exclusive club that is direct and transparent. There's something very powerful about that, especially for next-gen wealth holder. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's extremely well said. Community is exactly what 
draws people in feeling like they belong to something. I, I personally feel that way about FinTwit. Like that's, Thanks. that's my tribe. I love to live in that, in that space more than any other social channel. And I would never advise anybody to try and be us like what we do here at Potomac because we're, we're us, you be you. Um, when I came here, I told Manish, I was like, if we're going to do this, I'd known, I'd known you for 10 years when I came to the firm. Yeah. And I said, if we're going to do this, I want to lean into who you are. Yeah. I know some people love you. I know some people don't, and that's fine, but we're going to lean into that voice. And this is who we've become because we made that decision at the beginning. And you'd actually be surprised. We don't get as much <clears throat> negative response as you would think. I don't know if people are afraid to do it. I keep expecting it and it doesn't show up, but. I Listen, I, I, I just, I, I grew up with friends who would go to a bar sit down and literally talk shit to each other for 45 minutes straight. And that was our night out. Right. And it's just like, you got to have thick skin and people get so offended. So yeah, no, we, we, we want it. Like I, I want the feedback because it helps. So, um, Anyway, for to keep this not be the longest podcast in the history of Conquerors podcasting, um, I'm going to put you on the spot in case you haven't seen that we always do recommendations at the end of the podcast. It can be anything, a product, a service, something that's new in your life that's interesting. Um, if you want me to go first while you think about it, I can. But do you have anything um, going on in your world? Please go first. Okay. Christopher, I'll, go. I'll give a shout I'll out go. to you. <clears throat> This is an Ember um, mug. Christopher, you want to explain it? Yeah. So, And the price I, tag since I bought I have, 100 of these motherfuckers. You did. Uh, so I, I, in every episode I have been in, I have been drinking out of this coffee mug. Um, and I'm just not a person that likes to slam coffee. Like I like to slowly enjoy it. And so this Ember mug has a heater in it. Um, it keeps your coffee right at 135 degrees or whatever you want. Um, and I absolutely love it. So when we had an opportunity to do a client appreciation gift, we bought 50 of them to send out to people. And they were so immediately liked, we turned around and bought 50 more because uh, they were requested. So awesome. yeah, Ember Mug is absolutely the way to enjoy coffee. I love that. Well, I mine was going to be a client-oriented thing as well. We did this recently for a client. I just thought this was so brilliant. It's a company that takes a, you can give them any date in time and any geographic location, and they will find what the stars look like at that specific point in time on that specific night and give you it sort of an image of it. So we did it for a client who it was their um, wedding anniversary. And it was this beautiful sort of image that's framed on a canvas and we all signed it. And I just, I thought it was, it's called a starry night. I thought that was brilliant. And I talk about it all the time. Cause I'm like, that's such a unique thing. And you know, clients love that kind of stuff. And, and I thought that's it was very cool. great. So yeah, that was, that yeah. was my, that's my recent thing that I loved. Cool. Awesome. Well, Penny, it's been fun. Thank you for your time, awesome. obviously. And we're, we're going to keep connecting and, and hopefully see each other at conferences in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast. Please subscribe, like, and keep the uh, the likes coming. We'll see if this can top some of the uh, the views that we've uh, been getting on industry gossip. Let's. Uh, I think I think Penny might might compete there, Christopher. I don't know. I it's don't know. it's a very real possibility. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.